0: When I was a kid and I was visiting my grandparents, I would oftentimes sitting around while they visited, or maybe we are watching TV in the evenings. I would oftentimes observe my mama, that's what I called her, my mama, crocheting. And she would make blankets and various things like potholders, things like that. And so One night, as we were visiting or whatever, and she was crocheting, I asked her, would you teach me how to crochet? And she did. And so I tinkered with that through the years when I would visit her. She would say, hey, let's make this or let's do this. And so we'd sit and we'd just talk and crochet. And so I learned how to crochet as a kid. And so when Lindley and I first got married, I decided I would crochet our firstborn his very own baby blanket. How many firstborns have a baby blanket crocheted by their dad? (laughs) So I did that. And uh, not long after that, I decided I want to crochet a blanket for our family. And I chose the two colors that are premier in our home, maroon and white. (laughs) And... I began to crochet a big blanket, like one of those throws you could put over the couch or at the foot of the bed or whatever. And so I started crocheting that. And I made it about 25% through that project. And today, if you walk into my closet in a plastic bag, in the shelf of my closet, is that 25% completed crocheted blanket for 20 years it's been sitting in that bag in the closet, 25% done. Have you ever had a project like that in your life? You started something, but you didn't finish it? I don't like starting things and not finishing it. I'd rather finish things that I started, but the reality is I got a lot of things in my life that are projects in progress. They've not been finished. I've got things I'm trying to build, things I'm trying to read, things I'm trying to write in the middle of it. Can you relate to that, having a lot of things going on in your life that are not yet completed? You share that frustration with me about wanting to finish? I can tell you this, 100% of the time in my life, without fail, when I plan to start something, in my plans for starting are plans to finish. Do you do that? I mean, if I'm going to build a shed in the backyard somewhere and I think I got my material list, okay, I'm going to go to the store, I'm going to get all my materials, I've got the steps to build this thing, I never, in planning that project, think to myself, what I'd really like to do is get 50% done and leave a half-built building in my backyard for 20 years. That's not a part of the plan. I want to finish what I start. Are you like that? I tell you that because for every single person in this room who started believing in Jesus Christ, you want to finish your race of following Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important in your life as a believer than for you to finish what you started. And we want to. Like when you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, you made a decision to follow him the rest of your life. If you didn't make a decision when you decided to follow Christ, that you wanted to follow him the rest of your life, it wasn't the decision that the Bible talks about when you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Because the Bible talks about the decision to start following Jesus Christ as a decision that you make in that moment that you will finish following Jesus Christ. It's a giving of your life to Christ to follow him for the rest of your life. You don't decide when you decide to follow Jesus Christ, when you prayed a prayer of maybe giving your life to Christ, saying, Lord, I want you to... Have my life. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I want you to forgive me of your sins. I want you to change me and save me. I want to spend the rest of my eternity with you. When you made that decision, you didn't think to yourself, and Lord, I'd really like to do that for the next 10 years, but after that, not so much. You didn't do that. When you made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, you made a decision that you would follow him for the rest of life. Your life. That's what we want. And yet we all know that that decision will involve a series of unfortunate events over the course of a lifetime that feels at times that our finishing may be threatened. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to simply be encouraged by the Word of God to be finishers in the faith. So let's look together at James chapter 1. We're going to look at James chapter 1 this week. We're going to look at James chapter 1 next week. This is a two-part series. The Unfortunate Events of the Best Summer Ever, part 1. James chapter 1. Starting in verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Consider it all joy. Delight, happiness, pleasure. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. It's not a matter of if we will encounter unfortunate events, it's a matter of when. You notice that, right? The scripture doesn't say if. The scripture says when. And the reality is that every single one of us will, in the course of our life, experience a series of unfortunate events. We live in a broken world with people just like us, broken and in need of grace. And we will, through the course of our lifetime, experience series of unfortunate events. It's a matter of when. Have you ever been sitting at a red light waiting for the light to turn green, minding your own business. Perhaps maybe you begin to daydream about what you have to do the rest of the day. Maybe you're checking your phone because you would never check your phone while you're moving in your vehicle. And so you're at that red light and you're looking at your phone. You're just minding your business. And then all of a sudden, while you're sitting at that red light, bam! You get slammed in the back of your car by somebody else that's coming up from behind you. Anything like that ever happened to you? That is a picture of the word encounter. Consider it joy when you encounter an unfortunate event that is completely unexpected. Now, To be honest with you, that's the point in this scripture that I would like to read. Just kidding. I mean, for me, an unexpected, unfortunate event does not coincide with joy. I I don't have those kinds of moments and respond immediately with joy. Maybe you're not like me. And and maybe you do a better job at this than I do, but I can tell you for certain, if I go out today and and, and walk up to my vehicle and I notice that my vehicle has four flat tires, better not anybody in here get any ideas. (laughs) If I discover my vehicle has four flat tires, I promise you my first reaction is not going to be, I feel so joyful right now. I'm not going to feel that way. The first words in my mouth, out of my mouth probably to be something like, you have got to be kidding me. Seriously? How can this be happening? You know, when, when things happen that are unexpected and unfortunate, our first reaction is not joy. And yet the Scripture is commanding us, consider it, All supreme joy when you encounter a series of unfortunate, unexpected events. And so I say to the Lord, how in the world am I supposed to do that? I'd like to have the best summer ever. But when I have an unexpected, unfortunate event, how can I consider it joy? So notice he says, exactly how? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Consider it joy, supreme joy, when you encounter some unexpected, unfortunate event, knowing that the testing of your faith produces staying power. I don't know if you, if you had an experience like this as a, if, you, if you were in a situation where you were being tested by a teacher. Have you ever heard of classes in college where students receive a test from a professor? And all the students fail the test. You ever heard students talk about that? They're, none of them are happy. And they all conclude if all of us failed the test, the, the problem is not with us, it's got to be with the test giver. Because certainly the professor would not have intended to give us a test that we all failed. I want you to recognize when you read the words, this is a test of your faith, those words imply a tester. Do you know who cares about you and me finishing our faith more than anybody else? God does. God wants you to finish your faith. More than you can ever imagine. And he is the tester. And he is the one who is taking an unfortunate event. And he is transforming it by his redeeming power into a test of our faith for a specific outcome. And the outcome lined out here in this verse is staying power in the faith so that you endure, so that you finish, so you make it to the end. In other words, God, in transforming an unfortunate event into a test of our faith, is not simply testing us through that unfortunate event so that we might show Him how we pass the test. God already knows what's in us in terms of His grace because He placed it there. God's not testing us by taking this unfortunate event and transforming it into a redeeming opportunity so that we might fail the test. God does not want anyone who starts following him to not finish following him. He wants us to pass the test. He is the tester who has planned an outcome so that what comes out of the testing is seen by the one being tested. See, what God wants us to see is the grace that he's put in our lives that simply comes to the surface of our lives through the moment of the unfortunate event. So that when what comes to the surface of our lives in his grace causes us to see him and know him and cherish him more than we've ever cherished him, known him before. And so that through that unfortunate event, the grace of God might come up in our hearts and draw us close to him so that the result is that we love him more and we will stay in the faith. Staying power. It produces endurance in us. God tests us so that we might pass the test and having passed the test, be in a position of facing the next adversity with the staying power of knowing Christ. Isn't that amazing? My kids have learned to drive in the experience of being told where to go by some lady or some guy in their phone who knows where to go all the time and so my kids have had a life of directional ease they've experienced almost zero adversity You all know what I'm talking about when I talk about adversity because your glove compartment was packed full of an atlas, road maps, city maps. And when you had to go places, you had to dig through the glove compartment, get out that road atlas, figure out where you were supposed to be, figure out how to get unlost and get on the right deal. And you had to go through the adversity of actually looking at a physical paper map. My kids, I'm not even sure my kids have ever seen a road atlas or a city map. You, you know what happens whenever they hit a period of needing to go somewhere and having no service? They don't go. I don't know where to go and I don't know how to get there. What do you mean you don't know how to get there? My phone's not working. A Life of directional ease. Zero adversity when adversity comes and there is no service they're immobilized Whether we like it or not Living in this world that's been affected by sin means That we all will have unfortunate events But what God does in his grace is he takes the brokenness of those unfortunate events for the life of the one who trusts in him, he transforms them into a moment of his grace. And he brings to the surface of our lives through that adversity the knowledge of his goodness and kindness so that we will stay in the faith. We grow, we change. We know him. We trust him. You can think back over the course of your lifetime that the times you have grown the most, and I suspect a number of those will be connected to an unfortunate event. And the next unfortunate event that you face, you know what you're going to lean on? What happened in that unfortunate event in your relationship with Christ? And you will have staying power. God wants you to finish. And that's why he's transforming these moments into moments you can know him and find him and discover him in the least likely of moments. You know, those unfortunate events, they're they're a challenge. They're challenged us because emotionally they, they grab us. And we begin to think about how we feel in that unfortunate event, and we oftentimes lose sight of what God has promised. We start to get overwhelmed by that event. We begin to say things about that event and what's happening in our lives that simply don't line up with what God has said, who He is, and what He's promised. And those unfortunate events can kind of capture our attention and we can lose sight of what God is doing. And we must not lose sight of God who is the good tester, who has transformed this moment of adversity into a perfect test that brings out of our life that very thing that will enable us to stay in the faith and finish. We must not lose sight of what God is doing. And that's a tremendous challenge to us because we oftentimes get short-sighted in an unfortunate event. And all we really care about is getting out of the event. We want the adversity to end. And so we find ourselves oftentimes being more concerned with ending the adversity than seeing the God who is redeeming the unfortunate event into a special treasure of memories of how he carried you through, and you can now face whatever is to come, right? So what we've got to make sure we do in those unfortunate events is continue to remember that God, as much as he cares about this moment in my life, he cares more about this moment in my life affecting eternity. And so it just may be that when we cry out for God to stop an unfortunate event, bring it to a close and shorten it that God might say, though you have this moment in mind and how you'd like this moment to end sooner than later, I have eternity in mind and there is grace that I have to bring to the surface of your heart through this unfortunate event event. So hang on, because I have your eternity in mind. We need to remember that that's a good thing. That's a wonderful gift from the Lord, and we can hang on. It's amazing what the Lord will do if we hang on. You probably have heard the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. It's a marvelous story of a series of unfortunate events. Can you imagine Joseph getting thrown into a pit by a few of his brothers because they couldn't stand him? I suspect at the bottom of that pit, Joseph did not say, I am so full of joy right now. When his brothers hauled him out of that pit, he might have been thinking, this is the moment we make up And we go home only to find that his brothers were going to sell him into slavery in a foreign country. I suspect that Joseph in that moment did not think to himself, I'm so happy I'm going to get to spend my life in a foreign country as a slave. When he got to that country, I suspect he was not happy when he was falsely accused. I expect he was not joyful when he was left in prison and completely forgotten. I suspect there were many times in Joseph's life through a series of unfortunate events that he did not feel joy but can't you feel the emotion of the moment when Joseph is reunited with his brothers and they see the full picture of what God has done that God used those adverse unfortunate events to unfold a course of history that saved a nation of people by rising raising Joseph up to be second command of Egypt and delivering his family from famine and certain death can't you imagine the moment when Joseph gathers his his brothers and his family around and says to them what you intended for evil God meant for good you feel that I suspect if Joseph was with us today he might say to us I know you're not going to feel joyful when that next unfortunate event comes in your life I know that your first reaction is not going to be to smile But what I want to encourage you to do is go ahead and consider it joyful anyway. Because I can tell you what God can do. I can tell you what it's like when you see more of what God sees and what he's been up to all along. I can tell you that it's worth it to hang on. I can tell you that he's going to transform you through those unfortunate events in such a way when you get to the end and you look back on it, you're going to wish you'd been more joyful in the moment. Because you're going to see something when you look back over all that God has done. That's going to be overwhelming joy. So so go ahead and choose to have some of that joy now even in the unfortunate events. That's a promise. We we, we see it right here, verse 4. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is taking your unfortunate event. He is transforming it by his grace into a testing of your faith that brings forth the outcome of staying power so that you stay in the faith through every single unfortunate event that comes along and you finish your faith so that when you finish your faith, you are lacking nothing. That is joy. In the Old Testament, God prescribes for his people how to build an altar. You may remember this. He encourages people, I want you to build an altar for me to worship me out of unhewn stones. Remember that? I don't want a stonemason to chip away anything from the rocks that I've made because the way I made them is perfect. And I want you to put the rock the way that I made it on my altar and build an altar out of the rocks the way I made them because that means that that altar will be made from the stuff the way I made it. That's the picture of the concept complete and lacking nothing. I've had a series of unfortunate events during the best summer ever just like many of you have, I have found myself at times saying, I feel like this is robbing me of a part of my life. And God this week just convicted me. How wrong that is. The unfortunate event according to God's word, is not chipping pieces of my life off of me. That's not what's happening. No, what God is doing through a series of unfortunate events is making me complete so that one day I will rejoice because I lack nothing. I'm just who he made me to be. You know, the only thing in my life and in your life that has chipped away chunks of your life, for me, what's chipped away pieces in my life is my own sin. My own sin has broken off pieces of who I was made to be. And God, in his grace, as I live in a broken world that often affords a series of unfortunate events, is using the brokenness of those very events to put back into my life the pieces that have been broken off by my sin so that I can finish the race and be put back together, just like he made me. Consider it all joy when you encounter a series of unfortunate events, because those events are tests that God is using to bring forth endurance. And let endurance put you back together. You keep trusting Christ no matter what. We're going to do communion in a minute. There is a key to this passage becoming reality in you. It's found in verse 1. Read it with me, it's profound. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know who James' big brother was? James' big brother was Jesus. And James didn't care to believe in his big brother until James saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And in that moment, James knew, Jesus is not my big brother. Jesus is Lord of all. And James made a decision that he would not call Jesus big bro, but he would call Jesus Lord. And it's James, the brother of Jesus, who calls Jesus Lord, who says, consider it all joy. You want to know how to consider it all joy? Make sure Jesus is the boss of your life until he's Lord. You will not experience the wonder of this kind of joy. So when we take communion in a moment, that is everyone's opportunity to declare through taking communion that Jesus is Lord. Do not take communion today. If you have not made the decision in this moment to say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You're the boss of my life. I'm going to follow you wherever you call me. I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me. I'm going to do whatever you say. I am making the decision to start my faith with every intention to finish it. And I know if you're Lord of my life, I'll finish it. I want you to be Lord of my life. To take communion in any other way is, according to the Scripture, drinking judgment onto your life. Please avoid that and decide that Jesus is Lord of your life.